0: dog talk and kitties too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. Every week I talk with authors and pet experts to expand our understanding and appreciation of the animals sharing our planet. To hear earlier episodes of this show and download podcasts of other informative pet talk radio shows that I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to the website for radiopetlady.com. If you want to stay in the know when it comes to doing what's best for your pets, follow me on Facebook and Twitter. You'll find me at Tracy Hotchner, that's Tracy with an I-E. Have a pet-related question or comment, post it on my page, or tweet me. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. I also produce the Dog Film Festival, sponsored by the Petco Foundation, which is traveling the country, celebrating the love between dogs and their people, and benefiting the animal welfare groups that bring them together. More information is at dogfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva's owners want to feed their own pets and yours with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat, using the same care, ingredients, and facilities where they make food for people. You can find pouches and cans of their cats in the kitchen, they're more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend, and all varieties of Baruva for dogs, wherever fine natural pet foods are sold. This show is also supported by Canine Advantix 2, a proud sponsor of the Dog Film Festival. Fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes can be a pain, and their bites can transmit diseases. Did you know that many products require fleas and ticks to bite your dog to die? But not Canine Advantix 2. It kills fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes through contact. No biting required. Help protect your dog with Canine Advantix 2, available from pet specialty retailers and veterinarians. Canine Advantix 2 is for use on dogs only. Learn more at canineadvantics.com. I have three wonderful guests today. April Kedrowitz is a professor at North Carolina State College of Veterinary Medicine. And as part of a study, do dogs go to heaven? Do they have a soul? Is there an afterlife? Big questions. Bonnie Oslander directs the CoGood Center for Business Communications has developed a way for students to become better public speakers by giving their speeches to dogs. And then Leanne Germinder is here, goodnewsforpets.com, a wonderful source for information and advice for pet owners. And the media sponsor for the Dog Film Festival going on the road with us and having a very special contest at goodnewsforpets.com. April, it's so wonderful to have you here. This is such a fascinating study, and I'm so Uh, amazed and perplexed that that's actually being studied. You're a professor at the North Carolina State College of Veterinary Medicine. Tell a little about this dog's going to heaven and how that affects you as a professor or your students or
1: their future patients and clients. Sure, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this today. So um, from my perspective, um, you know, we know that people are incredibly bonded to their pets. And certainly companion animals occupy a very prominent position in American families. And so the way in which uh, veterinarians communicate with clients matters in terms of clients, you know, seeking out veterinary care, being, you know, willing to adhere to treatment recommendations and also, um, you know, to make decisions about end of life care. Um, We know that, for example, Clients experience a deep sense of loss and despair when an animal dies. Yes. Um, so, broadly, we were really curious about how culture impacts people's views on animals, because that will impact the manner in which um, veterinarians can engage and connect with clients.
0: That makes a lot so, of sense. This this study was pub- was came out of the UK, right, and was published in the journal *Anthrozoos*, which is a very um,
1: it's it's interspecies, pretty intellectual. Journal, right? That is correct. Yes, yes. Um, but we found it was an appropriate outlet given what we were interested in exploring. Yes. So, uh, you know, from my perspective, I, you know, as a, a communication educator, um, you know, I came at this from how can we use knowledge about how culture impacts people's view and relationship with animals. Um, And some of my other colleagues were really interested in the spirituality aspect of it, um, as well as potentially how this human-animal bond can impact um, economics, for example, in purchasing decisions. So one of my colleagues um, that co-authored this piece um, is a DVM and actually teaches business to our students. So the three of us together really sort of came at it from different perspectives, um, which kind of drove what we were interested in exploring in this project.
0: Because I can see how if it was just, oh, let's just look at the spiritual side of human-animal bonding and let's, you know, get into the just the warm and fuzzy, it, it's hard to imagine that there would be any uh, significant funding for that or people would set, it, people it, on your end, the research end, would set aside time for that. So I think it's actually helpful that at, in the business of veterinary medicine, this is looked at as Part of what makes you a good business person slash veterinarian because you are selling services, you're selling products and services, and if you don't understand your customer deeply and well, you're going to do a less good job as a business person, right?
1: That's absolutely right, and and integral to that is veterinarian's ability to communicate. So if the clients don't trust you, if clients don't feel like they've developed a good rapport with you and actually have a relationship with you, um, then you're not going to be a good business person because animals come with their clients. So it's really important to have an understanding of the uniqueness of the relationship that each client has with their animal, Um, try and tap into that and foster that connection with each client individually. So um, at NC State, the framework that we use to teach our students about how to effectively communicate and reach their clients is what's known as relationship centered care. And so I really believe it's important for each veterinarian to develop that authentic, unique relationship with each client that they see.
0: And I guess what comes out of this study, <clears throat> excuse me, is how how much Americans have spirituality in their view of their own afterlife, um, religion aside, just kind of a generalized afterlife for themselves and for people. Do you have any of those numbers and, and results in front of you, or shall I? Uh, there's some, there's a lot that were sent to me in a, in a press release, but I'm sure you have them at your fingertips.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, broadly what we learned from this is that there is consistency between beliefs about human afterlife and animal afterlife. So essentially if people are um, likely to have spiritual beliefs or believe in some form of afterlife for themselves, that transfers um, over to their animals. Um, And you know, interestingly, we've tried to look for differences among uh, various religious beliefs. We looked at other demographic factors. Um, but I think the most important thing to come out of the study is really that there is that consistency. So those beliefs transfer. If people believe that they go to heaven when they die, for example, they'll be more likely to believe that their animals do too. So it really kind of shows that I think um, perhaps a shifting in how we view animals um, in terms of, you know. Do they have feelings, right? Are they similar to humans in those ways? So there definitely is that transfer. And then, you know, some other interesting things, you know, we did find that, for example, Native Americans and Buddhists are more likely to believe in an animal afterlife. Um, Females are more likely than males to believe in an animal afterlife. And that's, you know, that's consistent with previous research that has explored, you know, the fact that in general, females tend to have much more of an emotional connection. It animals. also
0: it also said black and African Americans, since right. living in the South. So and and there's a, there's deep religious ties in the in the South generally to to yes. you know Baptists and and other kind of I don't know if it's called revivalist or or fundamentalist or born again kind of religion, but there they're certainly passionate about it and it's a big part of the community. I guess that when we talk about an afterlife for pets so many of us refer to, even people like myself who happens to be a ra- born and raised as an atheist, we refer mm-hmm. to the rainbow bridge with dogs yes. and even with horses somewhat. And we really do feel this idea. And I say we, because it's, it, it, clearly your study proves it, but we talk about these sort of Elysian fields of dogs running and they're young again and they don't have their arthritis and they don't have their, their dementia. They're young and they get to eat treats and play ball and play with other dogs, even if they hated other dogs in real life. And we, we all actually kind of, I don't know, embrace this idea of the rainbow bridge to an afterlife. And it does, I think, for all of us, because we lose so many animals over a lifetime of owning them. It gives us some sense of peace as, as deep and profound and, and often paralyzing and crippling as that grief is. The idea that they are somewhere happy and that they're waiting for us. What about that part, April? I mean, is that something that goes into this afterlife idea? People often say they're up there waiting for us. They're playing with the other dogs that I used to own, even if they didn't know the other dogs. And they're waiting for me. And it's almost like, I'm so sad. I've lost this dog, but it's okay. We're going to be reunited. They don't say that about their grandparents and their parents or siblings. That's not the first thing they say. I can't wait to be with Mary. But it's sort of like, I can't wait to be with Buster. Is that
1: is that something that was looked at in the study? You know, we didn't explore that specifically in the study, but, you know, you bring up a really good point. So, interestingly, <clears throat> one of the things we found with our sample, and we took, you know, great care to have a nationally representative sample to the extent that we could, and we saw that as a great strength of this project, um, and uh, But our sample did show that, you know, actually more than 50% of the people who responded um, expressed that they actually didn't have a specific religious belief. So they either selected right. none. Interesting. Um, so that is, you know, kind of interesting. And I, I do think that even for people who may not uh, believe or, you know, may view themselves as more spiritual but not formally religious, or even people who may not have any you know religious beliefs, people who might be atheists or agnostics you 're right, there is that desire to find some peace um, when having to say goodbye to a beloved family member and the rainbow bridge is the way that that you know that that happens, um, and it is very much a part of sort of end of life care uh, when you go to the veterinarian right so oftentimes people will get a paw print back, for example, yes, um, people have the option now of you know, having their animal cremated individually and get those ashes back, right? So these are all things that people do that are very important in terms of being able to grieve the loss of of their animal, which is really more and more now uh, viewed as a member of the family. And and
0: and I, I the uh, the interview hasn't been released yet, but I interviewed a, a young man who has a company that makes uh, biodegradable coffins for for pets. So people can bury them, whether it's legal or illegal where they live. But it, an actual coffin that you get as your animal ages, and you keep it somewhere, and because so that when they're when they're put to sleep at home or at the vets, and you want to keep the body, you have a way to bury it. That's an actual new business, which it couldn't have existed before. You know, the right. idea that a burial plot, and you know, we sort of think of the great English estates or or other grand places that have. I, I had friends with a villa outside Rome a wonderful old villa, and it had the animal graveyard attached to the house with, you know, marble headstones. And these were not touchy-feely new age people. This go- went back, you know, a couple hundred years. So the idea of burying them it also speaks to that idea of going to heaven. Now, there was a, a controversy, I want to say about three years ago, 2014, I, I double-checked, and that's when the New York Times articles came out, about Pope Francis referring to animals as having a soul, and going mm-hmm. to heaven. And this caused uh, a great brouhaha because, I don't know, does the Bible say they do or don't have a soul? Or are they lesser than us? Does a soul mean you do or don't go to heaven? D- did you uh, re- reference that at all in the study or, or think about it or, or put it out there to people? Did it affect the way you created this study that, that had 800 participants, so it was a good size study?
1: Mm-hmm. It was. So we, um, yes, we are aware of that study. And um, one of the things that we did is is as we were gathering background information for this project, we really tried to get a handle on um, sort of any sort of formal statement or doctrine associated with various denominations to get a sense of right. beliefs on animals, right? So do they, is there an afterlife? Do they have souls? So certainly, you know, there are, There are particular faiths that believe in reincarnation, for example. Um, But it was very difficult to pin down definitive answers for, you know, do animals have souls? And I think that's part of uh, some of the controversy that may have been, you know, surrounding the comments that the Pope made. um, Because I think there are, for some people, there is sort of a dominionistic view of humans over animals, right? Or a speciesism, where you know humans have these the ability to think and feel in ways that are superior to animals and so therefore to say that animals have souls or that animals will go to heaven right is something that that can be problematic for for many people but it's interesting that you bring that up because i think there is you know there is some pushback against that notion that you know, if I'm a believer uh, and I have a soul, right, and I, this, this is a member of my family, I want to transfer that. My natural inclination is to transfer that to my animals. And so it's interesting that you bring that up because, it you know, as I mentioned, it was very difficult to get a definitive answer, with one exception, um, actually. So uh, Mormonism is a uh, religion that absolutely unequivocally has said that animals do go to heaven.
0: I'll be darned. Now that is such a surprise. (laughs) That's such a surprise. I mean, many of us sort of don't know that much about Mormonism. It's, it's, there's something kind of cliquish or clubbish or, or secret about it. It's a, it's sort of more of a closed society. And, uh, And I wouldn't even have known that they embraced the owning of pets, particularly. Mm -hmm. But again, that's out of ignorance. I I have two friends, close friends, who were raised as Mormons. But there's only so much you can ask without feeling like you're prying because they've moved on and are no longer practicing Mormons. But isn't that something? So the Mormons say, yes, sir, those Mm -hmm. animals have souls. How do you like that? Well, when you're now, you've done this study and other vets beyond your and vet students beyond your college know about it or have heard about it? Is this something you or some other people involved in the study are going out to vet conferences or to other places to spread this sort of gospel? And I, and I mean that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but the idea that this is something to respect about people's relationship with their pet, to be aware of, to respect it, and to use it to the benefit of both their relationship with their own pet and you as the practitioner's relationship with the animal and the person.
1: Yes, absolutely. And from my, you know, from my perspective, the way that I, you know, can make an impact based on this work is in the education that I provide to my students. So when we, when we have those discussions about, you know, how do you facilitate end-of-life conversations with your clients, right? How do you find out about their spirituality or the beliefs around their animal? And how do you communicate in ways that is empathetic to those views um, and make that process as peaceful as possible? So we definitely are reaching our students. We have um, a strong emphasis on client communication here, and this is absolutely a part of that. And then we do have plans going forward to actually extend this project so we have additional data that was not a part of this particular publication that will actually um be forthcoming
0: do you need more participants should we have dog talk listeners reach out in some way if you're going to do a further study or something if anyone would love to be to i'd love to know what the questions are i just find the, the whole topic so interesting you know yeah. just about our world and the way that we Americans are evolving in our relationship with our pets this is this wouldn't have been the same results 50 years ago even 25 years ago it's such a revolution in in our in in the way that we've embraced pets as our family members so is there any desire or need for more of uh, more people to participate
1: yes there's always a desire for more people to participate absolutely
0: Tell us how they can do that. Or, I mean, I'll put a link on it with the podcast. But to someone who just happens to be listening with their ears and and not with a and maybe with a pencil nearby, what what is the, how would they get in touch?
1: They can get in touch with me directly, um, and at probably your, at your
0: email address. At I my have, email
1: address, right. yes, at my email address directly would be wonderful. And we One welcome second. people who are interested in participating.
0: Well, I think we all should. I think it's really great, you know, have your voice be heard on something that's so non political, that's so spiritual, that's so about feelings and emotion at a time when, uh, you know, polls and studies seem to be about things that disturb people. I think this would be very uplifting. I think it's great that you're doing it. Um, and, and I think the results are fascinating. I really do. That more people actually believe their dogs and cats and, and maybe horses go to heaven than they do themselves or their family members. How How cool is that? So right. over the Rainbow Bridge, thank you so much, doctor. It's really great to talk to you and great to know that your college is doing such a great job in equipping veterinarians, not just with with technical skills, but with interpersonal ones. I, I, I hope they start doing a little more of that in human medicine too. It's needed everywhere. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. We'll be right back after this quick word with Bonnie Oslander and how to be a good, as a student, how to give a good speech with a dog as your sidekick. We'll be right back. This show has been brought to you with the generous support of Halo, holistic natural dog and cat foods, which are made from real ingredients you can recognize. Halo uses real meat in their kibble, no rendered byproducts, chicken meal, or chemicals. And their new grain-free recipes like Vigor give you even more healthy choices for your pet's dinner, while Daily Greens brings vitamins and digestive enzymes into your dog's diet. Halo is a private company partly owned by Ellen DeGeneres where they emphasize giving back by making donations to shelters through freekibble.com for pets awaiting a forever home. And introducing Moxor Omega-3, owned by a father and son's private company from New Zealand, where they were fishermen for generations. They knew that research showed that green lip mussels are a pure and potent whole food form of omega-3s, and that everyone's diets are low in these omega-3 fatty acids, that are vital for overall health. They turned to Japanese scientists to transform these green lip muscles found nowhere outside of the pure waters of New Zealand and turn them into Moxor omega-3, which combines them with two other bioavailable forms of omega-3, kiwi fruit seed oil and the natural oil from Sauvignon Blanc grape seeds. These three pure natural forms of omega-3s are anti-inflammatories that work together against arthritis and other inflammatory diseases that affect us and our pets and they come in a small easy to swallow capsule more information and a special offer at radiopetlady.com i am back with Bonnie Oslander who's the director of the Kogod Center for Business Communications in Boulder Colorado who has discovered a new and marvelous way to have dogs further enhance our lives as uh, as helpers bonnie welcome to the show oh thanks so much for having me Tracy it's very exciting Well, it is exciting to me, too. Every time I learn of a new way that somebody has looked at what dogs do for us and then put it to use on purpose instead of accidentally, so to speak, it's really terrific. And I I guess a lot of your students, it's a business school, have to be able to get up and give a presentation, give a speech, whether it's to their colleagues or at a business conference or something. And I guess you you would know better than I that uh, Mm -hmm. fear of public speaking is kind of a more common than uncommon, right? So true,
2: even among these business students who know that, that, that this is what they're going to be doing. Uh, it's such a common fear among the American public as a whole, and yet it's such a vital skill, so important for participating in democracy, uh, to give a toast at a wedding, yes. or even a eulogy at a funeral. It's. I just think of it as such an important human skill, and it was very exciting to think about a different and creative way that uh, students could interact with uh, dogs and, and get that, that confidence boost that that dogs give us right we all
0: know absolutely <laughs> but, we, like. but we never think of it that way we just think to give us a boost when we're at home by ourselves and we can you know pat their silky or, or scruffy ears and not realize yes. these are you call them audience dogs and you did this pilot program at american university right that's right, and that's actually in Washington D.C. I right. left, um
2: We moved out to Colorado this year, so Kogod is back at at American University. I'm trying to oh, bring I see. to, to Boulder. That's my goal, but um, that, that takes a little more a little more doing than can be done
0: overnight. So, but well, my, actually, uh, my Washington D.C. is a, a good place for people to learn to to give a speech or to speak up because <laughs> they might want to <laughs> yes, become a politician. Yes. You know, and exactly and, and say exactly. what they mean and and not break out in a sweat and tremble and all that. So talk about the pilot program. You had Teddy, a Jack Russell Terrier, and Ellie, a Bernese Mountain Dog, as your audience dogs. Talk about how you created this program and and what your results were.
2: Sure. Teddy and Ellie, of course, the two Roosevelts. So there's always in D.C., there's always a political joke. There's always a historical joke. I met them on the quad one day, two of the most delightful animals on Earth. And um, we brought them in after some planning. And uh, students practiced. It worked actually better when the dogs weren't together. They they were a little too happy when they were together. So <laughs> we ended black. up using Ellie. Yeah, Ellie the Bernese a little bit more. And a uh, very calm and steady and beautiful dog. And students did various things. You know, they would sometimes ask to be alone with the dog and pet the dog and give the speech to them. Um, sometimes it worked better depending on the dog itself. We had other dogs too, you know, their relationship with their owner, whether they would rather have the owner in the room. But it was interesting that it didn't quite unfold exactly the way I anticipated. I imagined, you know, loving eye contact, which of course dogs do give us and which is, makes them different from uh, many other mammals, right? Wolves, for example, don't don't give humans eye contact. Apparently goats do. This is a big, <laughs> big new <laughs> discovery. Um, but of course, cats, you know, if they are very comfortable around you, they'll turn their back on you. You know, that's a sign of approval, but we don't you know it's an anxious public speaker that doesn't really send the message so oh. so the dogs the goal was to have the dogs attend to the speakers and they did in different ways you know but but what was interesting was the boost came regardless so i had a student who was so anxious she said she could not give a presentation in class she made a special arrangement with her professor so she could give it in a different setting with a much smaller group and after she practiced with one of our dogs she said you know going to be fine i'm just going to give it to the whole class which was so wonderful so we had many quite a few anecdotes like that we collected a little data a little pre uh, pre pre-survey post-survey um anxiety and and saw some definitely some you know improvements so we we felt that it was a very solid program to to continue and and that's what's happening with you know different dogs and of course there are students who Pretend to have speech anxiety because they would like some <laughs> time alone with a dog, which I I had that no is so issues funny. with. I had no issues with because the point is we all want contacts with animals, and it's it's tough on many university campuses. You know, you don't they don't see babies, they don't see old people, they don't see their parents, and they certainly don't see animals very much. And, and dogs in particular, you know, give us such a boost. So, so, so. <laughs> we made we made no judgments about that we we were open as, as for business you know as
0: well, much as we well, could well here's be. the thing boulder colorado is one of the hip and groovy places in america from what i understand very outdoorsy yes. very animal sports outdoor sports oriented and very pet especially dog oriented because dogs are always out very and about doing all kinds that's of things right. with their people so if what you found was something that's known for well let me think of the ways that i've actually had people on the show um, mm-hmm. There's there's the one we all know about of children who have trouble learning to read at all, reading right. one of their books to a dog. So that was the first yes. time that I'm aware of that this kind of uh, a reading uh, sort of mm-hmm. ability mm-hmm. disability was addressed. Then there's the mm-hmm. one where dogs obviously go into hospitals. You're not really reading to them, but they go into hospitals generally or specifically to cancer uh, labs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. spots. Hospices. They, yes, my, my mother was visited by a dog when she was in hospice. We're yes, homes, right. right? And then they yeah. had, the ASPCA had something where dogs who were traumatized had come off the street and were terrified of everybody and everything. People would go in and read to them from the New York Times the New Yorker, read to the dog for the dog's sake, which I thought, oh my goodness, we are going down such a funny path. And it apparently made the dogs more comfortable in the in the company of humans, I guess, when mm-hmm. we're feeding mm-hmm. We're not as threatening because we're not you know looking. oh
2: interesting who knows
0: yeah. Oh, yeah yeah oh and then there was there was a film that actually um was in the dog film festival the third year which was at oklahoma state they'd had a a freak accident of a truck going into a, a marching band and and killing several people that were part of the university big university but apparently tight-knit and they brought some therapy dogs in to help various people that were really devastated by this. So there you mm, have a mm. campus where they have these therapy dogs, but they're there because there's a therapeutic problem. But what about the idea, because you're in Boulder, mm. where probably welcome this, what about the idea of having resident dogs? You call them audience dogs in your project. Mm-hmm. What college mm-hmm. campuses could begin to think about a way to have the campus dogs? And some dogs yes, came yes. from shelters, or maybe some kids could bring dogs from home if that was, you know, appropriate. And these dogs mm-hmm, could mm-hmm. be campus dogs, and everybody could hang with them, pat them. Maybe they could overnight. I mean, Best Friends Animal Society in Utah is probably the smartest, most brilliantly constructed sanctuary and shelter mm. in the country. In that it. It isn't just for the animals, all of whom can live out their entire lives with incredible comfort, but also they they do outreach to people who want to come and experience it. Just your average human of every Mm -hmm. age. And you go there and you pay your own way there and you pay for your hotel room and you get given some tasks in the day you're there like a Pet Peace Corps. But really it's for you, the person who goes to experience these dogs and cats and goats and bunnies and horses and so forth and donkeys in the setting. I don't know, maybe best friends could have a best friends animal, uh, you know, haven on many campuses. Is, is that absurd? I mean, would that be? Well, workable?
2: I mean, I think it's a fantastic idea. We, we found there were some structural barriers at American university to um, welcoming the dogs on campus. And my successor has, um, you know, created a much more, I uh, had to create a much more rigorous environment because ours was a pilot. But then when they said, well, it's not a pilot anymore, you know, in theory, dogs aren't allowed on campus, many campuses. Why um, is that? So, well, I, I guess there's, uh, there's you know, students with a lot of anxiety, <laughs> ironically. Um, and I guess there's some concern about allergies, although, as we know, dog allergies or allergies to dogs are pretty rare. Not, not the yeah, they're, they're often cited yeah. as a
0: reason for giving up a dog. But if you gave your dog yeah. a shower every, you know, every week, they whatever allergens they had on their skin would probably be gone. Well, yeah. what about the so idea I, that they would live yeah. in an, an area? The dogs would have an area that people would go to visit them, rather than dogs sleeping in dorms or just wandering aimlessly, because obviously that would create hazards for the dogs who might wind up yeah. on the something. Yeah, well, it seems like the wave of the future. Yes, yes. I agree. I mean, your students, there's, there's... It's, it's anxiety provoking to be away from home, to be in these campus environments where, you know, you have to fit in and you have to do work and you, it's all new. And even when it gets old and you're used to it, it's still really stressful. Grades in the future and, and, you know, boyfriends, yes, girls
2: Yes, and there's a rise on college campuses—a real rise in in students who report um, mental health issues, you know, yeah. autism spectrum disorder. So it's a really a shifting population. And I think for for those people who love animals or who are neutral and are open to um, falling in love with a dog, I think you know, I think it's a fantastic idea. And I I, I think it brings out you know the best in all of us. I think we all need uh, time to, <laughs> to to decompress and, and connect with with an, an animal. So. Um, you know, you you don't have to convince me.
0: (laughs) No, definitely not, but having been the the, the, the architect of a pilot program that just was obviously an idea that came to you almost on a whim, and then seeing that there's really something to it, and then the idea you'll bring it to Boulder, and you're a business school, so it's not even just a liberal education. It's very specifically high-pressured, you know, very goal-oriented, very type A kind of situation, But you can see how kids that were in the liberal arts program or dance majors, I mean, everybody might like to come and hang with the dogs. You know, they have these dog and cat cafes in L.A. and New York and some other places, right? Right. Adoptable dogs, cats there. And you can go and you make an appointment, and it's a long waiting list, to just hang out and have your cup of chai tea and stroke a kitty or take a dog dog walk. And at American, you
2: know, like at a lot of schools, there was um, often at the end of the semester there was a chance to hang out on the quad with a dog. But I always felt very disappointed because I wanted my own dog, and there was like 20 people petting the poor dog. And it was like, well, I thought I was signing up for, for my my private time. So I, I think that that you know also was behind my my idea that you know it's a high stress moment and you you know you need you need a dog. We we also had the idea because of business schools, of course you know it, team presentations are a really big thing as in the business world so then we that's when we had the team we thought well we'll have the, the roosevelt team you know ellie and teddy so the team could present to a team it, That didn't quite work as well as we thought it could but it was but, an idea we had a lot of fun with it you know we thought well maybe we'd get some huskies in there and really do a whole I did a rod you
0: know public
2: speaking session but
0: <laughs> some, some of these some of these stayed on on paper they didn't quite make it to execution but that's the fun of it is you know playing with the idea but but to me the idea that that college which back in the day was almost a time to spend four years, you know, just sort of uh, unfolding a bit as a person didn't have those today. The cost today is so astronomical and whether it's somebody paying or, or a student loan that you'll never get out from under and a business world or or even an artistic world that you go out Mm -hmm. into is so unforgiving and so competitive. Mm -hmm. The idea Mm -hmm. that there is are stress reducers and relievers right on campus And obviously, if if this was done in conjunction with a really smart organization like Best Friends that's seen this overview of what pets mean to people, even pets that don't even have a chance of being adopted, and it was organized so that at the end of the school year, you know, people could have made applications and say there's five dogs there or eight dogs there, and let's say it costs X dollars to keep them there, and there's a bit of management issues, you know, how do you get them cared for, but maybe people... Mm -hmm. Line up for eight-hour shifts of cleanup and feeding and they get to be mm-hmm. high on this as a potential adopter later they i mean mm-hmm. when the summer comes they could they could go home with people that are obviously looked at properly and then a new mm-hmm. crop of dogs could come i mean every city in america and even smaller towns they have shelters the, the open admission shelters which people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, ignorantly say, "Oh, that's a kill shelter." Yeah, because it's the county shelter, and they can't cherry yeah. pick. What they take in. So, mm-hmm. given that, imagine the the space that it would relieve. Especially the best shelters also do assessments of dogs, so they would know which ones would be comfortable in a new situation. And I don't know, let them wear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let them wear adaptal pheromone collars when they first go to campus, and then the dog is more chill too. I think that yeah, right. There's something in it because I think that the idea that one veteran or one kid with uh, learning disabilities or one you know diabetic person gets to have a, a therapy or or a, a a dog that is an assistance dog is great. Mm. But the idea that dogs in general help people in general, it, it, not specifically yes. but generally, and that it really enhances yeah. quality of life and for someone in college, makes that not just a better experience but a healthier one emotionally and maybe a more successful one academically wouldn't that be yes you make that argument you know
2: yes i think i think you're right and i think what's you know scientific i mean um, the university communities love you know love scientific evidence and what's so interesting is how much more we know about the brain now we know about just what any nursing mother will tell you, you know, when you gaze into the infant eyes or you gaze into yes. that dog's eyes, the oxytocin that's released, the heart rate, heart rate slowing down, the pulse. So it's just really fascinating those, you know, how much better we understand the brain than we did even 10 years ago. And I think all that evidence can be marshaled. It's um, so, you know, if any of your listeners out there are, are, uh, interested in working with me on this project, I, I hope they'll, they'll get in touch. I, I do have an audience dog at gmail.com. That's one way you to do. get in touch with me. Audiencedog at
0: audience dog I'm, I'm going to talk I, you know. to best friends because I adore them. They're my new best friends. And yeah. they're partners yeah. with me in, in some of the locations I'm bringing the Dog Film Festival. And it seems to me that an organization like that, and there are others that, that would find a way to make this something that could be looked at as a model and then could you know, build out to elsewhere. I think it's really great that that your interest in this turned into something successful, but I'd love to mm. see it amplify. So audiencedog at gmail.com. Yeah. To anyone out mm-hmm. there who thinks there's something here, we don't know what it is, but you know what? It's
3: mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's
0: kind of a try various things to find out, just as you thought, maybe I'll have an Iditarod team here. Well, maybe not. But <laughs> to feel free to experiment and to think of a way that one could have campus dogs more than one. Yeah and how they could right. be housed and how they could be enjoyed, yeah. and, you yeah. know, sign up to, if you have a, a professor at school, you sign up on their door, in the old days, it's probably all done by email now, but, you know, you'd sign right. up, they'd have those hours, I remember it well, and you'd sign up that you at 11, you want to discuss with the professor, you know, find some way to get your paper in later, basically, and <laughs> so sign up with the, right, and you'd sign up yeah, with you the office hours, the office hours with the dog you could yeah yes, i mean it could be just be great It'd just be,
2: yeah just hanging out i, and I think of think the quality a lot of like the
0: dog and think of of how that how adoptable that dog is afterwards that dog could go anywhere and do anything <laughs> right That's i mean that true. dog could, absolutely you know, run for office well thank absolutely. you so much for for having had this idea yes um, yeah, it's and,
3: wonderful. And, certainly,
0: and I certainly want to continue on with you and figure out a way to, certainly in Boulder, but, but other places. We should go to the places that have the the most groovy, laid-back attitude to life, whatever that might be. Probably, <laughs> as you said, not Washington, D.C., and do it there. Because, yeah. that you know, yeah, we yeah. go to the West Coast, we go to Portland, we go right, to Colorado, right. and wherever anybody right. else thinks is a place where they go, this makes sense, let's try it. Yes. Let's I'd love to a, see it on the great. campus, right? Yeah, thank, exactly. Thank you so There's much a little for little pressure this. there, too. Yeah, Absolutely. thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful to talk to you. Take care, right. and Thanks. you. We'll be right back. This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, whose life has been devoted to wellness for kitty cats. He has his own cats-only clinic in Colorado and has devoted his life to inventing innovative litters for the health of all members of the family, with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground. It allows you to find the early signs of kidney disease in your kitty and make changes before damage is done. Dr. Elsie's company also cares about people's health and has given millions of dollars to cancer research looking for a cure for multiple myeloma. This show is also brought to you by Ollie, a brand new dog food freshly made in a USDA kitchen from real human-grade ingredients without preservatives, artificial flavoring, or byproducts. Ollie meals are gently cooked in small batches, then flash-frozen and delivered right to your door on a regular schedule. No more trips to the store. Ollie meals are vet-formulated to create a nutritionally balanced meal and customized to meet your dog's individual needs. Finicky eater? No problem. Ollie will give a full refund if your dog doesn't love his food. Meals arrive ready to defrost in portioned, ready-to-serve trays. You can design your dog's ideal meal at MyOllie.com. I'm back with Leanne Germinder, who I am really excited to get to talk to. I have known about this woman from the very day I set foot in the dog and cat business. She's been there for about twice as long, if not longer, than I am. And her wonderful newsletter, Good News for Pets, which is for vets and pet product and vet product companies, as well as for pet owners, has just signed on as a media partner of the New York Dog Film Festival. So That for me is like such a feather in my cap because she has quite a flag placed in the sand in the pet industry. Leanne, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me on the Dog Film Festival adventure. I feel so lucky to have your wind beneath our wings.
3: Oh, thank you. The, the pleasure is mine, Tracy. The pleasure
0: is mine. One of, one of the, the ways that I knew about you very directly was you had started something or were in charge of something called the Catalyst Council, which was a number of years ago, but in bringing attention to the felines who just don't get as much attention. I try to give them as much as I can, and you have a picture. Your, your photo of yourself is with a kitty. But I know that's been a, a big a big interest of yours. What what made that happen? Other than the fact that you've worked with companies like Siva that make, you know, they make feel away and they make products that help cats have a better life. But but I think you also have a personal passion for the kitties.
3: Oh yes, oh yes. Well, I had a cat when I was young, Moki. Uh, very very different experience, right? Because we didn't know so much about that's uh, right. how to care for our cats back then. Yep. And but. But now I'm the caretaker for my youngest son's cat, Coco. That's who's on my web, the website, goodnewsforpets.com. And, uh, you know, started working with veterinarians and various uh, feline groups and so on and found out that we, we just don't care. We still don't care for our cats as much as we, we do for our dogs. And so the Catalyst Council, which is spearheaded by a, a wonderful veterinarian, Dr. Jane Brunt, Um, aims to change that. Uh, So there's various uh, programs that the Catalyst Council has, CatalystCouncil.org. I I get involved in launching a lot of things, and then I go on to launch some other things. And so I definitely... Suggest that people uh, take a look at what's going on with catalyst, and, and we, we have come a long way, but we got a long way to go. That's a good point, and it's
0: something that we—I I won't say we hammer at home here, because that would sound crabby—but we do. I do try to get every darn cat-centric human on the show, and you know, if everyone from Jackson Galaxy to just more regular folks who who are aware that cats just need a, a better life. Jane Brunt was
3: uh, the president of the AVMA at
0: one point, right?
3: uh the ASP the American Association of feline practitioners oh right called, yeah and I, had, and I had and i had her on this.
0: yeah and i had her on cat chat once and i must have her back again cuz i think there's a lot a lot she her passion has been consistent which is really great on goodnewsforpets.com which does serve in a sort of way that my attempt at, at reaching out and educating people serves both the providers and the recipients of products and information and procedures and so forth, What? how do people best take advantage of goodnewsforpets.com?
3: Ah, well, everybody's on social these days. So the best way to stay tuned to what's going on and what information we have on Good News for Pets is to like and follow us on that Facebook, Good News for Pets. Or on Twitter at Good News for Pets, and we, ca- we you know we share all the current content socially, and so we cover topics uh, from uh, you know experts like Jane Braun, but also we just had uh, Dr. Valerie Tines, who's a board certified uh, behaviorist. Uh, we're going to have you on. <laughs> oh my God! Hey, gee, there's a busman's <laughs> son. Hey, you guys can go to Good News for
0: Pets and hear even more of me blithering and blathering. No, yeah. but you really do <laughs> you get some really uh, extraordinary and interesting people that are that are focused on an area of specialty or, or professional fascination and yeah, you know how to exactly talk right. their language. So what are your how, how do you get those people that you interview on Good News for Pets or that information? Do they at this ah. point after 17 years of having Good News for Pets online before anyone had yeah, anything online. Yeah. Do they come well, to you I, or do you knock I, on their door?
3: Yeah, so a lot of people have asked me, because I've worked with the media so much, uh, are you a veterinarian? Are you a pet expert? But right. No. Uh, I actually have uh, over 36 years working as a professional communicator, so I've had the great pleasure of working with uh, Hills Pet Nutrition, AVMA, as you mentioned, Steva. Yep. Uh, lots and lots of different companies and, you know, organizations to get the word out. And through that, I've met so many of these uh, experts and so on. And so I'd like to say, you know, my network is is pretty darn good. It can get better. Um, Every expert wants to, you know, educate the public. Let's face it, you and I both know there's a lot of not good information out there. And so we strive on good news for pets to have credible information from board-certified experts, from, you know, certified experts in in whatever particular field, um, you know, uh, good, good organizations, um, credible information. And to tell you the truth, we have that reputation, you know, of 17 years of that content, and that's why people are willing, you know, they may know me personally or they may check out the site and say, okay, you know, this is good information on here, that this is not uh, fluff. And that's that's really important to me, Tracy. And also
0: not driven by dollars. It's driven by information. It's driven by facts. I mean, I think that's really important. There's so many sites where if you aren't, like, super suspicious and savvy, you could be reading something and then not notice, oh, the person paying, the the entity paying for this entire website is – I don't know, buy a cheap vacuum tomorrow. It's amazing how many sites that, that just want to grab the pet owner's attention are actually selling something else entirely and grabbing your, I don't know, God forbid, your email address, your IP address or something. But how? what is your advice to people about how to get good information on the Internet? Because I always say to people, please don't, doctor, Google it. Don't just put in sore paw. Or even declawing. You have to go someplace where the whole conversation is addressed. So right, right. what advice do you so give I, to people?
3: Yeah, so I think, well, certainly, you know, you have credible experts, <laughs> you know, from, from your perspective. And so my best advice is to look, as you say, look closely and see who wrote it. Uh, was it an expert in the right. field? Was it a professional journalist, quoting expert? or websites that are produced by reputable organizations, such as the AVMA, um, the ASPCA, the CDC. Yes. Um, a blogger, you know, a blogger should be held to these same standards as well.
0: But they're not. Um, but it, they're not.
3: Sorry, exactly. Leanne. They're just not. Right. Where did the information come from? You know, this idea of fake news uh, really, really disturbs me because what what it means is uh, you know everybody's going to dismiss everything out there and and that 's not a good thing and then you know so look at the source, look at the source, cross reference it know you know know who it's coming from, and then quite honestly uh, ask your veterinarian about the information um, you know we we are very much about asking the experts that has information about your particular pet. So while everybody's a consumer, everybody's going to go online, you know, for information, um, the very best, you know, source for the medical, po- you know, the medical right. side of things Absolutely. is your veterinarian.
0: Yeah, and not to try and, you know... It- People, But people now do it even with their human doctors. They doctor Google stuff about themselves. And, of course, by the evening, they're convinced they have seven or eight or ten life-threatening conditions. And really, all they did was stub their toe. But, you know, that's why Dr. Google gives you way too much information and you don't know how to sift it. And if you have any anxiety going in, that's already going to color your ability to sift through it. So it's a shame that we don't. Take advantage of our vets by t- getting that forty dollar appointment or whatever it costs. I don't know what the average is, to go in and be able to ask questions face to face and put their hands on the dog or the cat. There's there's just so much value in that and and often catch things early. But you know, as far as feeding and so forth goes, people are a little burnt about going to their vets about that. On the other hand, there are. Entities on the Internet that are so hysterical about commercial pet food, hysterically against it, it's full of disinformation, misinformation, and a kind of hysteria, and that doesn't help either. So you have to go to, in a neutral zone like Good News for Pets. You are a journalist. It's, it, that's your background, as is mine. So right. I don't report anything, whether it's from an extreme animal activist rights group or from an extreme, all pet food is poison perspective, but try and give all the best information possible from all the good people you can get it from, because no one in the pet industry is out to hurt pets. That's that's the thing I always keep wanting to hammer home. Everybody loves animals, every single last person. You know, well, what I mean,
3: that's, that's absolutely that's absolutely the truth, and you know, I've I've worked with. The, you know, hundreds. <laughs> I don't know that it's thousands, but, but you know, probably. hundreds of dedicated uh, veterinary professionals and uh, you know, pet professionals as well. And you're absolutely right. It it is all about the pet, and that's the purpose. That was the you know. I look. I launched the News for Pets in 2000, way before social media. Way, way before, before a lot of you people did. Had sites.
0: So. And if and if we think about the name of it, Leanne, Good News for Pets, you know it's really positive. It's not like all the scary stuff you should worry about, come on over and let me rattle your cage. Good News for Pets, there is a lot of good news and there's a lot right. of good ideas and there's a lot of good information and good products and good places to go. I, I, you know, whether it's online or in real life, you know, a cat show, something real, something you could actually go to and enjoy. Well, having you as part of the Dog Film Festival really is a thrill for me because you are very fact-based and information-based and want to reach all sides of the conversation about pet wellness and pet care. And the Dog Film Festival is more emotional. While it supports all kinds of local animal welfare shelters each place we go, it is about supporting the canine-human bond. Which is emotional. It's intangible, but it's really potent and powerful. So, having you as part of the media voice about that and celebrating that, that's good news. You know, it really, in a way, so positive and fits with, with the name of, of your longstanding information source. So, tell me, I mean, I kind of know why you joined, but I think it's good for other people to know. And you're even throwing a contest to, to kind of celebrate our, our relationship. Uh,
3: okay. Well, two words. Sundance and Tracy. <laughs> I I figured you'd like that. <laughs> like but that. it is the truth. It is the truth. So I uh I had the Sundance uh Film Festival on my bucket list for years. I am one of those old time Robert Redford yes fans. Yes. And I'm a film enthusiast, but the scheduling, I, I just couldn't get it done. And this year through uh, a, a veterinary conference that I attend um, for many, many years had changed the schedule, and I was able to attend Sundance, and it surpassed my wildest film festival expectations. But I, w- I have to admit I was frustrated that I didn't have enough dog content for Good News for Pets. We we have covered films in various uh you know, some of the Disney films, some of the other films over the right. years. Then I remembered that you were, we had had a conversation about the New York Dog Film Festival. And I contacted you and said, oh, let me find out what she's doing. And lo and behold, you were doing some kind of behind the scenes work, uh, with, with somebody or other at Sundance. We couldn't get together, but we said, hey, Let's get together after Sundance, and the rest is history. We are just absolutely thrilled to participate uh, with the Dog Film Festival. We feel, you know, and I feel it's a fantastic fit. It's a feel-good. Uh, you know, it, it is good news about dogs. Uh, it is. This. It's good news about dogs, so. That's right.
0: Well, I'm so glad that that's the way you feel. And I'm looking forward to giving you clips from films and trailers that you can use on your website so people can get a little taste of of what we have to offer. Tell about this contest, though, that people go to goodnewsforpets.com and you register for the contest and you can win. I like the two different things you can win. To me, it really describes the, the the full range of what Good News for Pets does. One is something decorative and delightful, and something's really serious and scholarly and, and useful intellectually. So what are the two oh. things?
3: Well, uh, we, we worked with a designer, Elena Kregner, who's here in New York, and she designed a very special heart-fought charm, which is a convertible charm. You can it's a sterling silver charm. You can... You can use it yourself or you can put it on your dog's collar, however you wish. But then, coupled with that, um, as part of the contest, you also win an American uh, College of Veterinary Behaviors book, Decoding Your Dog, um, which has been an absolute um, fabulous resource. You know, behavior is one of the key topics that people look uh, for information yes, on. that's and, right. And we have a whole series of columns. Uh, each of the uh, chapters in the book were, were oh. written by a behaviorist, and we have the whole series of columns are, are on our website. So we have the book, and we're offering up the book and the charm, plus we offer a personal donation to the shelter or rescue of each winner's choice. So it's it's really... A very, you know, a personalized way. As you say, we we get to give a little bit of bling to the person that yes. wins. We get the behaviorist book and and the shelter or the rescue that, you know, is, is a personal a personal choice of the winner. So win win all around.
0: I think that's really quite extraordinary and not so easy to do i I've, I've always thought how could you get people to be able to donate to where they want it, and then how do you manage it well you 've been doing this long enough that you know how to make all the the parts of the puzzle come together and and move smoothly. but I think that the veterinary behaviorist board certified veterinary behaviorist as I've had a number of them on this show and other shows over the years, and they're such a small, small, intense group of people that have this special board certification, and they're at the furthest reaches of behavior problems. I mean, there's only one board-certified one, Elise Christensen in New York, right? in the whole New York area. One. She's awesome. She's so great. But it to have this book, Decoding Your Dog, I mean – even if someone doesn't win it, I hope there's a place off of your website where they can even buy it. It's scholarly. It's serious. You know, it isn't sit, stay, come, but it's really good stuff to understand, especially an adopted dog, what makes them tick. So I'm I'm very excited that we get to go on this journey, as they say, together, Leanne Germinder, and that people can go to GoodNewsForPets.com and really put it, you know, bookmark the thing, put it up on your toolbar. And you can click there if you have a question. Let that be your first go-to place. I I really recommend it, and I feel really grateful to have somebody of your gravitas in a lighthearted way. As part of the Dog Film Festival, I just think it gives a whole other layer of importance. And and I hope brings sponsors, which are always needed. I'm going to 17 places in 2017, as it turns out. And I want to go to even more next year. and, And it takes... Sponsor dollars and support to do that. So I'm hoping that some of the great companies you've worked with over the years take your advice and and celebrate Good News for Pets celebration of the New York Dog Film Festival. Leanne, thanks so much for partnering with me. I really look forward to more of this. Leanne is based in New York City. Anyone who needs pet-related PR, that kind of thing, Leanne is the go-to lady. That is for sure. That's a proven fact. So goodnewsforpets.com. See if you could win these darling silver charms and also this great book. Leanne, thanks so much for being here. And thank you, and thank you for all the
3: work that you do. We're really looking forward to working with
0: you. We're going to have fun. Thank you all for listening. Kiss your kitties, hug your pooches. Go to goodnewsforpets.com and get some good news for a change. We'll talk again next week. Bye for now.